0: Once again, I want to welcome you and thank you for coming for our Good Friday service. For the last several years, we've been gathering together on Friday at noon and considering, reflecting, pondering the sacrifice of Jesus. This afternoon, we're going to look at The fifth window. And I call this the window of the love that suffers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we are so grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus. And Lord, as we consider the sacrifice that was made. And all that it took. To create a mechanism for forgiveness and reconciliation our hearts truly are filled with awe and wonder at your love, at the grace that's been given to us. And so, Lord, as we consider your love and your grace and your mercy and the sacrifice of Jesus, Lord, we pray that our hearts would awaken with a newfound sense of thanksgiving. Lord, a willingness to... Satisfy you and to look around at the needs of others and be quick to love you and to love each other. In Jesus' name, Amen. John 19, we're going to look at verses 28 and 29 very quickly. This is the fifth saying of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And like I said, I'm calling this the window of the love that suffers. And in John chapter 19, in verses 28 and 29, it says in John's gospel, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst... Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. On the day that Jesus died, the scriptures record seven sayings, seven statements, seven windows. Into the character of Christ and lessons for those who desire to see into the heart of Jesus and into the heart of God. Three of the statements are found in Luke's gospel. And the conversations may have been heard in part or whole by those who gathered around the cross of Calvary that day. Some of the spectators would have included a hardened criminal and a seasoned soldier, the public at large, a group of women, and a religious leader. One saying is given and repeated by Matthew and Mark, three by Luke, and three by John. All seven sayings fall into two groups or categories, the first three into one group, the second four into another group. Three words were spoken to God the Father by Jesus the Son. And four of those were spoken to those who stood closest to Jesus. Briefly, the first window and the first word is found in Luke chapter 23 verse 34 where Jesus memorably says father forgive them for they do not know what they do and the second window is found in Luke 23:43 where Jesus says to the thief on the cross next to him today you will be with me in paradise and the third window is found in John chapter 19 verses 26 and 27 where Jesus says woman behold your son And then he says to John, Behold your mother. And the fourth window is found in Matthew 27, verse 46, where Jesus says, Eli, Eli, lava sabachthani, or My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the fifth window, the fifth window is found in John chapter 19, verse 28. Between the fourth window, And the fifth window, a darkness has descended upon all of the people there. And for one hour, and then two hours, and three hours, there's silence from the cross. And when the darkness breaks, Jesus says those words. The sixth window is found in John chapter 19, verse 30. Where he says, it is finished. And the seventh window is found in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Where Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit or commend my spirit. Like I said, three of the seven sayings are prayers to God. The first, the fourth, and the seventh sayings are addressed to his Father. The fifth saying. The one we now consider is more a petition to those who have gathered. To the people who are around the cross. The last, the final words of Jesus are taken from the Old Testament. And we have an insight into the source of his comfort as he bows his head. And before he dies, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. As Jesus commits his spirit to God, he brings all believers near to God and then into the Father's hand. And so the first window allows us to see a love that forgives. And the second window... Allows us to see a love that transforms. And the third window allows us to see a love that provides. And the fourth window allows us to see a love that questions. And the fifth window, the fifth window allows us to see a love that suffers. And the sixth window allows us to see a love that triumphs. And the seventh window allows us to see a love. That surrenders. In this window, we get a glimpse into the suffering of our Savior. And we discover that it's a predicted suffering and a personal suffering. Look what it says after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, says, I thirst. So what do we see? What do we see in that fifth window? We're given a glimpse of a love that suffers and then endures the suffering. On behalf of the one that he loves so much. Paul was right when he said, love suffers long. Christopher Wordsworth wrote, Love is kind and suffers long. Love is meek and thinks no wrong. Love than death itself more strong. Therefore give us love. One of the most panicked statements that invariably takes place as you consider the suffering of Jesus on the cross is why, why, why in the world And we discover so many, many things. The first, it was predicted. And by the way, this isn't the first time that Jesus has ever asked for a drink, but it is the first time that Jesus has asked for water from his enemies, from his persecutors. So when it says, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. What scripture do you suppose John has in mind as he writes these words? Most Bible scholars think that it's Psalm chapter 69, verse 21. In Psalm 69, 21, at the end of the verse we read, For my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Psalm 69 is one of those psalms that are filled with messianic overtones. It gives us a glimpse into the future. In Psalm 69, 21 and Psalm 69, 3, there's these hints that are given to us. In verse 3, it says, my throat is dried in psalm 69:4 John quote or excuse me Jesus will quote from the psalm in John chapter 15 verse 25 when he relates but this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law they hated me without a cause that's psalm 69:4 Both Matthew and Mark write they took a sponge and placed it on a stick And dipped it in wine vinegar. And gave him to drink. Jesus admits thirst to his enemies. In Christ's dying moments, his lips are parched and cracked. His body has been dehydrated from the brutal beating that has already taken place. He has stumbled and fall, and he has been affixed to a wooden cross at about 9 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if you've ever gone without a drink of water from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but as you can imagine, he's profoundly, severely dehydrated. He cries to the men who are signed To make his dying moments as cruel and as bitter as possible. Scholars are torn whether or not it's the soldier who will lift the sponge to his lips, or is it someone nearby who hears the voice of Jesus and, in sympathy and pity and compassion, finds the bowl and lifts it to his lips? On the very day Jesus rose from the dead, he walked with two depressed and discouraged disciples who believed that Jesus might be the Messiah, but he but had no explanation for a servant that would die, a Messiah that would suffer. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, verses 26 and 27, Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? It says in beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus makes it abundantly clear for those who were completely disillusioned and disconnected. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 Peter writes of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that would come to you searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow over and over again the repeated testimony of the scripture is how could you not have known this how could you not have foreseen this how could you not understand that a real Messiah would really suffer. It was a predicted suffering but it was also a personal suffering. In our Bible the two words translated I thirst really only translates one word in the language that Jesus spoke in. David James Burrell says of that one one word cry, quote, It is as brief and simple as the wail of a child. The chronicler makes no comment and attempts no explanation. When Spurgeon preached on this passage, he said, I cannot say that it is short and sweet. For alas, it was bitterness itself to Jesus. And yet out of its bitterness, I trust, there will come a great sweetness to us. Though bitter to him in the speaking, it will be sweet to us in the hearing. So sweet that the bitterness of our trials will be forgotten. As we remember the vinegar and gall which he drank, all of a sudden our suffering is put into it perspective it's put into context we can begin to understand what temporary setback what minimal difficulty what what tiny tiny obstacle we might be facing all of a sudden pales in comparison to what Jesus has experienced. And part of the point that John is making is that Jesus has experienced real suffering in a real human body. And it may come as a shock and as a surprise to you, but in the first generation, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the issue for the people, for most of the people, wasn't whether or not Jesus was God. The real issue to them was, was Jesus really a human being? Was he a spirit being who simply appeared like a human being? There was a whole group of Greek followers who adopted the idea that the the real Jesus couldn't have had a real body. And he couldn't be a real human. But John wants to make it abundantly clear to anyone listening that a real human Jesus is experiencing all of the deprivations of what it means to be a human Jesus experiences real suffering in a real human body. Remember what I've already said. Jesus has just emerged from three hours of darkness. Jesus has experienced the wrath of God as the sin of the world is placed on his shoulder. Jesus has experienced the fracture of what it means to be separated from God. Think about that for a moment. Wrath, separation, darkness, thirst, isolation. You know what that is. That's a recipe for hell. And that's a description of hell wrath, separation, darkness, thirst, isolation. But in part, it's all happening for you. So that you won't experience God's wrath. You never have to walk separate from God. You never have to walk in darkness. You never have to walk in spiritual thirst. You never have to walk in isolation. The person who knows and loves Jesus, the person who's trusted Jesus with his heart or her heart and her life, that person is going to heaven. Jesus is thirsty. And there are physical reasons. And there are spiritual reasons. Even in the modern world, there are those who believe that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. And that he didn't really die for your sin. Almost all Muslims believe that. Almost all Muslims believe that there was a bait and a switch. And that the real prophet Jesus didn't hang on a cross. But they couldn't be more wrong. On a Roman cross the victim was sometimes suspended. Maybe two or three feet from the ground. And so it wouldn't have been that difficult for one of the people close by, or even the soldier close by, to take a sponge and moisten his lips with the cheap wine vinegar that Roman soldiers often kept nearby to quench their own thirst. It was the ancient world's version of a cheap high. In in verse 29 of John chapter 19, it says, Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. And they filled a, a sponge with the sour wine. And they put it on hyssop. And they pressed it to his lips. You may not know what hyssop is. It's a bushy plant. And it's fairly difficult. To take the reed or the plant and attach a sponge to it. But it is Passover. And remember in Egypt the hyssop becomes a plant that the Jews took and they would dip it like a brush in blood. They would take a plant and it has a long stem and they would dip it in the blood of the lamb and they would mark the lintel or the post of the door. They would wipe it with blood and then they would wipe it horizontally and they would wipe it vertically. When the angel of death saw the blood, he would pass over the homes. In John's gospel, this is one more reminder, one more clue, one more bit of encouragement because John says that Jesus is the Lamb of God and the hyssop branch points to Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And by the way, in the ancient rituals, the hyssop branch would have been used for purification rites. You can find out all about that in Leviticus chapter 14, verses 4 through 6. Adam Hamilton, in his little tiny devotional final words, writes, quote, When someone became unclean, after he or she had made a sacrifice, the priest would sprinkle the person with water, and sometimes they would combine it with ashes or blood from the sacrifice and then the person would be made clean. The book of Hebrews tells us that it was a hyssop branch that Moses used to sprinkle the scroll of the law and the people with blood as a way of initiating a covenant with the people. As Moses did this he said this is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. It's repeated in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 19 and 20. In telling us about the hyssop branch, John isn't just simply throwing in a bit of needless information. He's pointing us, he's pointing us to the meaning of Jesus' death. It means a new covenant that God has with humanity. He's cleansing us. He's cleansing everyone who will trust him. He's saving us from the slavery of sin. He's delivering us from death. And the request of Jesus reveals a profound humility and a spirit of forgiveness. You know why we know that? Because we know ourselves. We know what we're like. There are many of you who will say to me, and you've already said it, and you've said it over and over again I don't like to ask for things from people. It makes perfect sense that we live in a world of self sufficiency and we're reluctant. We're reluctant to ask for help, particularly when we need help. It's one thing to ask for help from someone you care about. Can you imagine what it must be like to ask for help from someone who hates you? Or from someone who has hurt you? Or for someone who has identified themselves as the person who's going to put you to death? Would you ask for help from someone who has hurt you or wronged you? Or is hostile to you? But Jesus' admission... Is an admission of humanity and weakness. Human beings need water. Human beings can't live without water. Do you remember Jesus early on in his ministry? He asked a Samaritan woman who had come to Jacob's well to draw water. He said, Give me a drink. And the woman said, Let me get something straight. You're a Jew. You're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. Don't you understand that Jews and Samaritans don't have anything to do with each other? And Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who said to you, Give me a drink, you would ask me for something very, very special. And I would give you living water. And the statement amazed the woman. She said, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? Do you understand? Haven't you understood that this is the very well where Jacob would would come by and Jacob's children would come by and Jacob's cattle would come by? This is a full-on tourist stop. People come from all over to stop and drink from this water. And Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But the water that I'll give will become like a living well. It will spring up inside of you to everlasting life. Jesus claimed to be an inward and unfailing spring. The source of living water and the source of everlasting life is asking for water from the soiled hands of a Roman soldier. His hands are tied, and his body is fixed to the cross. And I've got to tell you something. Jesus isn't looking into the crowd of people. He isn't looking for a sympathetic supporter. He isn't just simply looking for someone who will give him a drink. I suspect that, remember, these are many of the people who have already spat on him. And screamed, crucify him. Jesus is asking For a drink. Is it from a friend? Is it from an enemy? The writer of Hebrews says. It was for the joy that was set before him. That he would endure the cross. This kind of ignominy. This kind of abuse. This kind of insult. I need you to understand. That Jesus is convinced. Jesus is convinced. That the suffering and the torture would not be in vain. Jesus refuses to believe that an enemy always has to remain an enemy. Can you imagine the people who are there? The skeptic, the critic... The person who doesn't even for a minute believe Jesus' messianic claims. But Jesus will pray to the cynic and the skeptic who participated in his execution to extend kindness to a dying man. And there is, even in the deepest and the darkest soul, something that stirs when you see someone in such pain. One thing that vinegar always does is it leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. The first four sayings of Jesus on the cross are directed at others. Those who crucified him. The believing thief. His mother. And then the central word to his heavenly father. But when I was preparing this message, I noticed something else about the final three words... That Jesus speaks from the cross. The first addresses the needs of his body, the second, his soul, and the third, his spirit. In his earthly ministry, Jesus repeatedly used the metaphor of his own affliction, of the cup of the suffering that he would experience. And his willingness to drink the cup, to drink the cup, to endure the suffering, to drink it down to the last bitter dregs. We know that water is essential for life. We know that it is the fluid that quite literally makes life possible. We can live for months without the internet. I know some of you don't believe that. We can live for weeks without food, but only days without water. And you'll remember in John chapter 7, Jesus told the crowds in Jerusalem, He said, let everyone who is thirsty come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink How is it even possible that the source of living water could find himself thirsty? How is it that the source of eternal life is all dried up? You see, one of the things, one of the questions that it provoked in me is it prompted me to ask a different kind of a question. Have you ever asked the question, Is it possible Is it possible to give Jesus a drink? And I'm going to suggest to you that one of the ways that you can do exactly that is to look around you and look at that person in need, the person who's in difficulty, the person who's in trouble, You remember Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 25. In verses 34 through 40 he makes a prolonged speech. But one of those passages says, when you've done it for one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters, you've done it for me. It may not have occurred to you in a very long time that when you offer that drink of water, when you offer that meal, when you offer that provision, you've done it for Jesus. In Isaiah 41 verse 17, the prophet wrote, When the poor and the needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them, I'm the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. The truth, you'll be able to offer a drink far sooner than most of you even imagined. Edwin Markham wrote a wonderful poem. He said, some draw a circle that shuts men out Race and position are what they flout, but Christ in love seeks them all to win. He draws a circle that takes them in. Jesus will suffer and he will die in order to satisfy the physical needs and the spiritual needs of anyone who will come to him. You know, it begs the question, what are you thirsty for? What is it that you're longing for? What is it that you hope will satisfy you? What is it that will cause the inner longing To be quenched and satisfied. You know, the Bible has always repeatedly said, Ho everyone who thirsts. Come to the water. You who have no money, come and drink. Jesus offers a satisfying quenching. And then an enabling... For you to satisfy the thirst of others. This is the fifth window. The sixth window. Well, that's for next year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, what a wonderful joy it is. To know that a real death and a real resurrection was not in vain. Heavenly Father, we know that there will be people, there will be countless hours of discussion today, tomorrow, and Easter Sunday. People will wonder out loud, could it possibly be true that Jesus loves me, that he died on the cross for my sin?" Heavenly Father, I pray that you will bring to each and every person within the sound of my voice a wondering heart, an unsatisfied soul, someone who needs to be quenched, someone who needs to take a good, long, deep drink of hope. And Lord, I pray that we as men and women who love you can hold the bottle to the thirst ellipse of those who are looking for satisfaction. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.